My name is DJ Darjeeling. My name is MC Assam. <laughs> Can you guess what the theme of this week's show entitled... A nice cup of tea! Is, dear listener? Uh, yes, I was checking through the records, the archives of the extensive back catalogue of Project Moon Base, and just astonished, nay, shocked to discover that we haven't covered the subject of tea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Why hasn't somebody contacted us? Rectify this immediately. (laughs) Do Project Moonbase, why oh why? Of all the many subjects we have covered, life and death, (laughs) that's the only one I can think of. Life and death, horses. That's right. Mm -hmm. Eggs, Mm -hmm. recently. Recently eggs, yeah. We have not breakfast, even. Mm -hmm. And what is a a vital component of a full English or Scottish breakfast? Mm, Nice cup of builder's tea. Cup of tea. Nice cup of tea. Yes, this is a show where tea is the dominant theme. Best drink of the day. (laughs) It is. Apart from booze. (laughs) Um, You can't really start the day with booze, can you? Well, Well, you can. (laughs) But it's probably not advisable. I I may have done in the past at some point. In between all of the musical infusions, we do have, of course, uh, MC Assam and his unnecessary news. That's right. This week, to some people, the odour is nauseating, while to others... It is attractive and even sensuous. <laughs> We're going to start proceedings by playing an original composition by one of our favourite German violinists. It's a short list. Helmut Zacharias from his uh, 1964 album. This is the title track, Tea Time in Tokyo.
The twinkly sound there of Helmut Zacharias, lightly patronising the Japanese, perhaps, some might <laughs> yes. say. But still, I mean, he's uh, he's doing it in a, in a way which is... It's like a light brush to the cheek. Mm. A German stroking a Japanese <laughs> lady by the cheek. I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor. Anyway, that stop was there. Tea Time. I will stop there. That's Helmut Zacharias' Tea Time in Tokyo from the album Tea Time in Tokyo. Mm. And a twofer, I don't know if that's still available. Melodium aus Berundenfilmen. I'm very pleased that this album Tea Time in Tokyo is out on uh, CD because um, I remember I picked up a copy of this many years ago in a charity shop on Crackley Old Vinyl and thought this whole, this whole album is ex- extraordinary sound um and you can now get it in pristine condition which is quite nice it's in digital in digital well it's nice that the the germans are not content with pretending to be brazilians that they now (laughs) are also doing the same thing on the japanese yeah that's right a whole album why not tokyo themes tunes yeah (laughs) <laughs> maybe, we should, maybe we should do an entire show about Germans trying to be Japanese. We might just <laughs> be playing Tea Time in Tokyo. Mm, this is possibly true. Um, now we're going to uh, revisit an artist who's popped up a few times recently on the show. Kicked off really by our recent uh, show about The Herb. The Herb! Yes. You speak of, of course, Bert Camfert. That's right. Friend of the Herb. Friend of the Herb. They uh, were, they were, they were, uh, he was Herb adjacent. He was, they were bandmates for a while, that's right, yes. Um, and much more. <laughs> I like to think of... They're both big horn, men, aren't they? They were horn-adjacent. Steady on. I imagine them wrestling <laughs> in front of a, a roaring fire. <laughs> With or without clothes on. Well, I would say probably fully clothed. <laughs> in German. Playful. German gear. Well, yes. We've got, I've gone off the rails. <laughs> you have. Steady. It's all, this, it's all the tea, that's what it is. <laughs> Too much tea, yeah. stuff. So this is the wonderfully punningly titled Tea and Trumpets.
the unmistakable sound of Bert Camford <laughs> and his orchestra there with the track T and... Cr- uh, no, I wanted to say crumpets. He mm, tricked me. He did. I fell right into Bert's trap. <laughs> he laid it and I just he jumped did. right into he it. Tea and trumpets. Mm. And uh, that is from an album called Orange Coloured Sky. Remastered! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bert... He doesn't waste your time. He doesn't, no. When you say unmistakable, you mean essentially that um, every, every Bert Camphart song has a similar kind of vibe to it. They're all it? a bit Bertie, aren't they? They're all quite Bertie, They're all yes. Camphart-esque. <laughs> they are, extremely. Well, he does... I, I don't know. He's. I like to think of him as a, a sort of voluminous German machine, man-machine, who kind of sucks in any tune and kind of kind of emanates it out. And puts a smile Vertifies it. it. Adds a smile. That's adds right. a bit of... German sunshine to it, and then out it comes again. I don't know where I was going with that. The, all the metaphors are a bit wrong. I'm wrestling, I've got a fat it's, German, it's all right, it's sweating okay. out tunes. I don't know what's going on. We like a sweaty metaphor. But uh, anyway, if you're enjoying tea, you might say to yourself, what goes with tea? Biscuits! Biscuits go with tea! Well, yes, they do. And we've got a show all about biscuits. Let's get straight to the biscuits. Let's get straight to the biscuits. Project Moonbase, PMB. 146. Mm. Go back to the archive on projectmoonbase.com. That's right. Many you, things worth looking at on there. All you need to do is go to the site and enter PMB146 in the search. We do actually have a search box. We have a search box. You may search our entire archive. <laughs> and it will be there laid bare before you. You could play a good game, actually. A nice sort of party game of just typing PMB and then three random numbers and see what show you end up with. <laughs> As long as, at the moment, those numbers don't go above 175, which is the number of this show, you'll be fine. That's right. <laughs> we'll eventually do all 999 possibilities. Eventually. They'll, they'll all be there. Yeah, what's going to happen when we get to 999? I'll have to just start all over again. Like zero, zero, zero. Uh-oh. I think we should go into binary... No, no. Hexadecimal at that point. Hexadecimal, yes. I like your thinking. Now, we're going to have um, something from a soundtrack to a film called Angels from Hell. Uh, this is the delightfully sitar-tinged... Well, we haven't heard from the... Had a bit of sitar for a while. True. Uh, this is, uh, I think, I think originally a drummer, actually, Stu Phillips, but also did a bit of uh, soundtrack composing. And this is um, a track from that film called Four O'Clock Tea, brackets, Laudanum. My favourite kind of tea.
bit of sitar there a little bit of flute mm. in Stu Phillips is four o'clock tea open brackets laudanum close brackets angels from hell remastered original motion picture track from um, 1968 originally that's right yes and i should just say in case you're wondering what's laudanum <laughs> oh, it's it's heroin dissolved in uh, in alcohol mm. which is a lovely tea time accompaniment <laughs> some yeah. might go for a biscuit some might go for a fairy cake some might put a couple of drops of laudanum <laughs> yeah i wonder what it's doing in this, uh, not quite sure. Might have to. Track. We have to do some research. <laughs> dis- anyway, the the uh, film itself is a destructive ex motorcycle gang leader comes home from Vietnam to resume his life. His desire to form a powerful gang has the police running scared. Will he succeed? <laughs> dot 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 dot. dot. Yes. He has a motorcycle. In fact, he's a cycle psycho. Uh oh. According to the poster, anyway. But uh, yes, we may have to watch that to find out what on earth Lord Lum T has got to do with that. But that, but. Uh, We'll get back to you. <laughs> Let's know. Well, it'll make you sleepy, won't it? I guess it will. Calm you down. If you're having a hard day. That's true. You see, nowadays, nobody would be interested in that, would they? We're all into energy drinks. Oh. They want to be in this constant state of wide-eyed fury mm. 24 where, hours a day. Where are the calming down drinks? Exactly. Where's something to, you know, just make you nap <laughs> for the last two hours of work? <laughs> and yet enable you to sit upright at a desk. Mm. without slouching yeah, but, over. But if, if it's in everybody's tea, <laughs> nobody's going to care, are they? If everyone in the office is having a laudanum nap. It's just something to think about, listeners. <laughs> Suggest that to your boss. Mm. Go to work tomorrow. I'm not sure it's entirely legal Maybe at the not. moment, sadly. Maybe not. But now, dear listener, it's time for us to gently stew in some unnecessary news. world's first beekeeping donkey gets his own custom suit in brazil <laughs> it's quite a sight if you go to projectmeanbase.com you'll see a link to this very news story where you can see the donkey in a full beekeeping outfit <laughs> in case you don't believe us it's quite something <laughs> bonico the world's first beekeeping donkey owned by a brazilian gentleman called manuel juriki clearly he doesn't buy into the dog being man's best friend thing instead he's trusted his ass to give him a helping hand <laughs> i can understand that the unlikely pair are pretty a great success with the partnership bringing in more honey than ever before. Manuel is just one of 120 beekeepers in his town of Itatira and he and Boneco are among the most successful in the area. He's also a bit of an inventor known locally as Professor Pardal coming up with the custom body suit for his four-legged friend. It's an odd thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> and that's a lot of fabric. What, what role does the beekeeping donkey play in the operation? I, mean, I presume g- it, it doesn't smoke out the hive, does I'm it? I'm glad you asked. 
I don't know. I think he just carries this honey. <laughs> he's got as he's oh, going round. I see. The design is turning heads with the association of honey producers who were want to, to see more of them <laughs> made the outfits to cover their own asses. <laughs> honk honk. <laughs> He's not the only furry friend helping out beekeepers. With Baz, the black Labrador, helping out Josh Kennett in South Africa, he said the process of training Baz and developing the suit has been an attempt to find a better way of controlling American foul brood disease. Oh dear. Which sounds awful. It does. So this is a dog, this is a black Labrador with his own beekeeping suit. Very good. I realised that Baz was able to sniff out the disease. So the dog can smell the disease. Now, I've heard of this before, where yes. dogs are supposed to be able to smell cancer. That's right. And when people are going to have epileptic fits. That's amazing. And I know dogs have got an amazing sense of smell. <laughs> but how do they tell the owner? That's what I'd like to know. Well, and, write it down. And if they pack. do, it's just like, woof, you're about to have an epileptic fit. Am I? Ah, little bit. I don't know how that helped, but I've no idea how Baz communicates to the owner that he has smelt foul brood. Mm. It doesn't say, but he said he was able to sniff out the disease and save thousands of bees, but he didn't like being around them too much because they would sting him. So he tried to develop a suit that a dog could wear so he could avoid being stung, and it worked! <laughs> Hooray! So that story is just about a donkey wearing a suit and a dog wearing a suit, which is better if you can see that, which you can't on a podcast. So I'm sorry. Need for Speed. Man has committed his life to collecting every VHS copy of Speed, the film, in the world. A man with an all-encompassing need for speed has committed himself to collecting every single VHS copy of the movie Speed in the world. I realise some of our young listeners may not know what any of that means. First of all, Speed is a movie starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock where uh, she has to drive a bus. Bus, yeah. At 50 miles an hour, mm -hmm. otherwise it will explode. That's right. Action-packed. 20 years old. How is that possible? <laughs> a VHS is a tape. What? It is an enormous object the size of a book. Yes. Which you could store a movie on before mm. you could get them over the internet at the uh, flick of a wrist or the click of a mouse. And you would have to go to a special shop to purchase these cassettes which had yes. the movies on and then take them home and then find out they weren't rewound and get furious and rewind them. And, and then put them into a machine the size of a wardrobe. And smoke would come out of it and it would huff and puff and eventually in a tiny blurred <laughs> screen in the centre of an enormous mahogany cabinet you would see a flickering image of a motion picture. You don't know you're alive, kids of today. Ryan Bits from Moscow, Idaho, wants to own every single cassette copy of the classic 1994 thriller starring Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock and Dennis Hopper. Oh, I forgot about Dennis. Oh, yeah. Dennis was in that as well. <laughs> he already owns 550 tapes of the movie and isn't <laughs> stopping there. And in fact, he's begun a Kickstarter campaign to deck out his van like the film's famous bus so he can travel the country to find more copies. His obsession started when he bought six copies of the film at a pawn shop in 2006 and has raced out of control ever since then. One time I bought 30 copies from a store, he told this is a local TV station. A lot of people just donate them to me. They send them to me from all over the world. I've got a few from Japan. I would have bought them myself, but the shipping costs on Amazon are $4, where the copy of the film itself costs a penny. It's ridiculous. In the video for his Kickstarter campaign, which currently stands at $1,300, $153 of its 2,500 goal. Pretty, it's, That's not much for it's goal. It's pretty small potatoes, isn't it? it? Is, yes. I hope he wins. I hope he gets it. 
He admits the speedometer on his van doesn't work very well, so he has no idea if he is staying above 50 miles an hour while he travels the country in search of the tape. And the funding deadline for the project is June 10th, the 20th anniversary of the film's release. So if you want to go over to his Kickstarter, there'll be a link to that How? in the show notes. How does he know when he's got them on? Good question. Yes. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? There's probably always going to be one somewhere. That's right. In a sock drawer. It's an unattainable goal. He doesn't know how many there are. But I suppose he just really wants to get as many as he can. Yes. But then, but again, why? It's just not that good of a film either, is it? It's a bit of a no. pot boiler. It's kind of like, yeah. I mean, I have absolutely no desire, having seen it once, mm. to ever see it again. There's been at least one oh, or two sequels. There were two sequels. One was with a, a <clears> boat or something. That's that was right. particularly bad. I wonder if he's going to move on to those after he's got to all of the first one. I don't know. <laughs> Expectant parents ask the internet to name their child. Oh, that's going to go well. <laughs> In a case of crowdsourcing gone awry, an expectant couple turned to the internet to help name their new baby. Why would anybody <laughs> do that? New dad Stephen McLaughlin set up NameMyDaughter.com and asked 2.8 million Reddit members to name his newborn. The result was exactly what you would expect when you ask the internet to name your unborn child. Reddit members suggested Megatron Salad, <laughs> Street Lamp of the Sea, Yana Don't Blink, and Chalupa Batman, amongst others. The number one baby name choice out of 150,000 votes in all was Cthulhu, the tentacle-faced monster of HP Lovecraft and South Park fame. The final winning name was Cthulhu Allspark. But the name was unsurprisingly vetoed by the parents in oh. favour of Amelia Savannah Joy McLaughlin. Oh dear. Snooze. The mother, Catherine, did give a nod to the internet's favourite, though, writing in a Facebook post, all bow down to the great and powerful Cthulhu. Well, if you think that is going to appease Cthulhu, you don't know. <laughs> this monster with an octopus-like head, whose face is a mass of feelers, a scaly, rubbery-looking body, prodigious claws on hind and forefeet, and a long, narrow set of wings behind, like I know him. <laughs> you have been used. Griffon Brusselox. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Gilliam. Thank you, sir. For that unspeakable and unnameable selection of new stories, there'll be more later on in the show. Every nation in creation has its favourite drink. France is famous for its wine, its beer in Germany. Turkey has its coffee, and they serve it blacker than ink. Russians go for vodka, and England loves its tea. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom a lack a zoom a lack a wee But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four, everything stops for tea. Oh, a lawyer in a courtroom, in the middle of an alimony plea, has to stop and help him pour when the clock strikes four, everything stops for tea. It's a very good English custom, though the weather be cold or hot. When you need a little pickup, you'll find a little teacup will always hit the spot. You remember Cleopatra had a date to meet Mark Antony at three. When it came an hour late, she said you'll have to wait, but everything's up with these. Oh, they may be playing football 
and the crowd is yelling, kill the referee. But no matter what the score, when the clock strikes four, everything stops for tea. Oh, the golfer may be golfing, and is just about to make a hole in three. But it always gets and sore when the clock yells four, everything stops for tea. It's a very good English custom, and a stimulant for the brain. When you feel a little weary, a cup will make you cheery, and it's cheaper than champagne. Now I know just why Franz Schubert didn't finish his unfinished symphony. He might have written more, but the clock struck four, and everything stopped for tea. A lovely crackly classic there, and uh, I'm just wondering whether that should be the new national anthem. Really, everything stops for tea. I I think so. That's a, that sadly seems to have gone the way of the uh, the dodo. Everything stopping for tea. <laughs> it does. Yes, I do like the idea of you know surgeons in the middle of some sort of vital <laughs> operation just going look here, ding, it's four o'clock. Look, I'm not I'm not a savage. You know, close him up and let's let's have some scones and tea. We'll be back. He'll yes. keep. Although I'm not sure I could hold out till four, actually, for tea. I think maybe you need to bring that forward a little bit and attend the day. Well, you have elevenses as oh, well. Good grief. Yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, we, we, I mean, this should just be a dedicated time zone for tea. <laughs> you know, there are other, other floating tea-related oh, yes, uh, right. breaks yeah. throughout the day. It's not, it would be just pure savagery to suggest that the only time you can have tea <laughs> would be four, four o'clock. As I said, elevenses. Exactly. As well. Twelves is. <laughs> so yeah. I think, I think... We should get onto the European Commission or something. And, you know, like they have, you can only call Melton Mowbray pie, for example. Right, it can yeah. only be made in Melton Mowbray by people that are called Melton Mowbray <laughs> or something. So we could do that with the time zone of four o'clock. Exactly. And you, you need an old clock that sort of goes ting, 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 ting. And then everything stops for tea, That's just right. like it did in the olden days. Things were much better back then, clearly. And four didn't mind rickets. Four o'clock will be called tea time from now on. Yeah. In fact... If you're listening to this at four o'clock and it's four o'clock now, stop this podcast and just make yourself a cup of tea. But yeah, clearly we need to go back to a time when rickets and slavery we were were okay, mm. and then you can have your thing at four o'clock. Well, we don't. I don't know. what I'm saying <laughs> none of the none of the none of the things I'm He's, saying this week. I need, I need the medications off. <laughs> More you know, tea. You may listeners may know that um, DJ Darjeeling usually, occasionally, every few weeks, blanks my memory so that I am unaware of the many horrors and atrocities that he carries out. And I think it's it's gone a little wrong this that's, time. Uh, yes, that's why we can get away with just having one season of the A Team because you keep thinking you haven't seen it before. You see that? So well, I haven't. Why would I have ever seen the A Team before? I've no idea what you're talking about. I've got a whole stack of A Team VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> to watch I'm look, really enjoying it what happens um, next <laughs> that was Jack Buchanan we don't think we said that uh, of course everything stops for tea from an album called Music for Afternoon Tea and I, I hope you enjoyed the bit of early beatboxing going on in the big, in that tune there a bit of boom shakalaka <laughs> is that beatboxing? I think that's maybe a 1930s style beatboxing yes yeah, he was doing a little bit of scratching and sniffing there, wasn't he? He was, yes. He's ahead of his time, he was. I was going to say. And something else that's kind of ahead and before its time, uh, we're going to play a track from potentially the 1980s or potentially the imaginary 1980s. Um, this was sent to us by a friend of the show, Cy Holland, who uh, has put together this ongoing series of bedroom cassette masters from the 1980s. Um, so far, five volumes of these wonderful tunes. 
He's uh, dedicated his life to it. He's like some kind of to. monk in the scriptorium, the 80s scriptorium, <laughs> which is instead of being filled with vellum and, mm. and ink, he's filled with old tapes. Old tapes. <laughs> Bless him. This is good work. It is, yes. This comes from volume four of uh, Burning Crusade Masters, which came out uh, in 2013. And uh, we're going to play a track by an American uh, artist called Frozen Lonesome, allegedly recorded in October 1988 with a Lin 9000, DX7, DD2 Echo, and recorded on a Tascam 488 Mark II, as I'm sure you'll be able to tell from listening oh, to this uh, track. This is Frozen Lonesome with Tea with Mary. with a track called Tea with Mary there from Bedroom Cassette Masters 1980 to 1989, volume four. Mm. Frozen Lonesome are, amazingly, on, on Facebook and SoundCloud. <laughs> yes. They've come into the modern world. Yes, I wonder indeed. what else they've been mm. um, up to. Yes. Go and check that out, listeners. And if you want to know more about the tracks we play, you can go to projectmemis.com where you will find a list of all the tracks we played and links to where you can find them on Amazon or iTunes. And occasionally freely downloadable too. It's mm. possible. From yeah. the 1980s. <laughs> yes. Download them from the 1980s internet. 
That's right. What was that Arpanet or something? Something like that. Yeah, but you have to have a mili- you have to have sort of military grade access. Yeah, you'd have to have your own giant mainframe that filled up several rooms with which was all air conditioned and had lots of scientists milling around in white jackets <laughs> and military clearance. <laughs> Should bring that back, really. The internet's filling up with cats and dogs and. I'd just be good cats to, and dogs on pianos. Cats and dogs on pianos, that's right. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They should make it a little bit more difficult to use the internet. <laughs> they should. <laughs> a little bit more painful. Um, now, we're going to uh, head back even further in time uh, to 1960, to be precise. Um, although this is actually a brand new reissue of uh, 1960 album. And I was rather delighted to discover a rather curious fact, really, which is that the Bibliothèque Nationale de France... Uh, the National Library of France, who have apparently over a million audio documents in their archive, have started releasing albums. <laughs> nice one. Started putting out some of this archive uh, material nice. on uh, in download form only, I think, at the moment, including uh, not just French uh, musicians, but uh, musicians from around the world. But we're going to play a, uh, a track by a French, uh, well, uh, soundtrack composer primarily, but uh, a band leader and arranger as well, uh, Michel Mogne, who we have uh, featured on the show before. And uh, the BNF, as they're called, have uh, reissued this 1960 album called Tango Go, the stereo version, if you're interested. It's better um, in stereo, isn't it? The whole album has quite extraordinary arrangements. And this is, a, a, well, it's a very, we had to include, include a version of Tea for Two, of course, on a show about tea. But this is probably one of the most weirdly frightening versions <laughs> <laughs> you could imagine. We're always looking for a weirdly frightening arrangement if we can find one. Yeah, because usually this is fairly twee. It is, yeah. But uh, not this version. This, this is a bit darker, this one. Yeah. 
the frankly tormented version of <laughs> T for Two there by Michel Moyne is some orchestra mm. from a Tango Go, reissued by the BNF. Indeed. It's hard to say that. It is quite hard to say, yeah. It's easier to say Bibliothèque Nationale. <laughs> it is, Quite actually. frankly. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't exactly Doris Day, was it? That? No. It's more like they, they got a load of musicians and threw them into a well, <laughs> sort of tormented them a little bit. That's right. I don't know what you do. Get a buzzard in there. Throw a buzzard in there and some cheap music. Maybe some boiling tea. Maybe it's because the French are, horri- frankly, horrified by <laughs> by the idea of, um, of of high tea. It's a good point. I hadn't thought Maybe about that. Maybe that's what it is. Well, I don't know. If you get, say, French girls, when they come over to, to Britain, to London, they immediately just want to get a scone and some tea. <laughs> because they are forbidden. I think it's forbidden by law in France. You know, like they were banning a sort of franglaise, like... Yes. Le Sandwich and Le, Le Weekend. Sandwich. That's right, yeah. I think it's a similar thing. Mm. You'd be cast out of French society if you had a decent cup of tea. <laughs> Especially with milking. Outrageous. <sighs> the great thing about this uh, BNF archive, which I think we'll probably be seeing lots more of, is that uh, they use what they call legal deposit <laughs> records as the source material. So a, a lot of this stuff, a lot of this public domain stuff is coming out now in reissued form. And you can hear the crackly vinyl it was recorded from. But these are a legal deposit, pristine copies. Pristine. They probably haven't been played since 1960 and beyond. So as you can hear there, the, the quality is rather extraordinary. I, what I can hear is the sharp intake of breath and the, <laughs> the various phonophiles listening to this show. Mm, fresh and adulterated vinyl, you say. <laughs> Then uh, my monocle drops from my eye. <laughs> I may have to have a cold shower. Mm. <laughs> yes, well, how, we shall be dipping into this extraordinary uh, archive in future shows, which hopefully we will actually do and not return to in four years' time. Yeah. That's an idea. Um, we're going to go, though, from T for two to T for four. This is uh, the Sone Institute. We haven't played them for a while, but this is on the Front and Follow label. Uh, they very kindly sent us a copy of this album a couple of years ago called Curious Memories. This is, as I say, T for four.
that was the Sone Institute with a track called T44 mm. from an album called Curious Memories. And that seemed to me the sort of music you might have at an incredibly polite fairground. <laughs> now, there's an idea. Why, yeah, we should, somebody should start up polite fairgrounds, isn't they? Yeah, because normally it's like oomph, 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 and screaming. And the smell of burning flesh. And, and the smell of, of burning, kind of reclaimed engine oil, <laughs> food, food, pseudo food, mechanically recovered meat frying in, in engine oil. Yes, I like the idea. Whereas this would just be shh, just be really, really. Mm. Easy-going yes. rides. You know. Roller coasters that don't go up or down too much. No, just flat, completely flat roller coasters. <laughs> and just those teacups that sort of spin, but not too fast. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get on to whoever it is that runs fun fairs. <laughs> look here, look here. I think this fairground idea is jolly good and everything, but could we have just a, just a quieter version of it for those who might have, suffer from a migraine? Or... <laughs> Maybe we should start one on the moon. Low gravity, that would help, wouldn't it? Make it would. Soften things up a bit. Definitely. <laughs> we will be returning with a third helping of tea very shortly, dear listener, after we've warmed the pot of unnecessary news. Cosmic Mystery is uniting monks and scientists in Japan after a cherry tree grown from a seed that orbited the Earth for eight months bloomed years earlier than expected. Spooky! The four-year-old sapling grown from a cherry stone that spent time aboard the International Space Station burst into blossom a full six years ahead of Mother Nature's schedule. What? How is this possible? Its early blooming baffled Buddhist brothers... (laughs) Try saying that ten times in a row. (laughs) At the ancient temple in central Japan where the tree is growing, we are amazed to see how fast it has grown, said the chief priest of the Ganjo-jin temple in Gifu. A stone from the original tree had never sprouted before. We are very happy because it will succeed the old tree, which is said to have been here for 1,250 years. Old! That's almost as old as you. (laughs) Oh! Hello! The pip was among 265 harvested from the celebrated, forgive me Japanese people, Chungjo Himi Sengan Zankra tree. Well done. Selected as part of a project to gather seeds from different kinds of cherry trees at 14 locations across Japan, the stones were sent to the ISS in November 28 and came back to Earth in July the following year with Japanese astronaut Koichi Wakata after circling the globe 4,100 times. It's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> That's quite a, it's a long time. Yeah. Some were sent for laboratory tests, but most were sent back to the places of their origin, and some were planted at nurseries near Ganjoji Temple. By April this year, the space cherry tree had grown to around four meters and produced flowers. It normally takes ten years for a cherry tree of a similar variety to bear its buds. The seeds were sent to the ISS as part of an educational and cultural project to let children gather the stones and learn how they grow into trees and live on after returning from space. (laughs) (laughs) Seems reasonable. Yeah, said Miho Tomioka, a spokesman for the project's organiser, Japan's manned space systems. What? How weird is that? (laughs) Let's get some cherry tree pits... Send them into space. Mm. They'll go round and round and round and round and round and round times 4,100. <laughs> then we'll bring them back. We'll bury them. We'll see if they grow. <laughs> they grow. They do. 
I don't know what to say. I love the incredible amount of detail involved yeah. in that, involving scientists and bewildered monks and <laughs> space cherry pits. I was going to say, well, now also they can now start harvesting space cherries. I quite oh like the idea. Oh, my goodness. Apparently, scientists have argued that vodka and tomato juice, or gin and tomato juice, the cocktail, also known as the Bloody Mary, is the best-tasting beverage at 38,000 feet. <laughs> science! <laughs> Finally, science put to good use. When you sat on a plane and it's noisy and there's turbulence and there's that peculiar airline smell, a Bloody Mary will do nicely, according to scientist Professor Barry Smith, founder of the Centre for the Study of Senses at the University of London, theorises that the taste of vodka and tomato juice is enhanced when flying in the air. He says that the splash of Worcestershire sauce tickles our nose, which then stimulates our taste buds. And apparently tomato juice is one of the few flavours that can endure on air travel, where your sense of taste is dulled. Apparently, because you're breathing in the recycled air. <laughs> recycled flu viruses oh from various passengers mm. coughing incessantly. Nice. Writing in the journal Flavour, he says, My suggestion is that tomatoes are full of umami. <laughs> umami, referred to as the fifth taste, is the distinct savoury flavour of asparagus, tomatoes, meat and cheese. Oh. Hmm. I thought it was, it's marmite. That's what I think of it. Umami. <laughs> umami. Umamite. The Umami Information Centre. <laughs> Is that a part of the brain? Apparently. <laughs> Just behind the hypothalamus. <laughs> said, as the taste of umami itself is subtle and blends with other tastes to expand and round out flavours, most people don't recognise umami when they encounter it. <laughs> in a darkened alley, carrying a hammer, but it plays an important role in making food taste delicious. Salt and sweet are harder to perceive when there is loud background noise, whereas umami is unaffected. What? So a bit of white noise and rumbling is going to diminish saltiness. Those noisy cabins cannot interfere with your tomato juice cocktail. Professor Smith concedes, however, that the ingredients of champagne may well make it the tastiest in-flight drink. Yeah, well, that's interesting to know, isn't it? To the saucer and don't spare the tomatoes! <laughs> well, if I may lift the veil slightly on, Would you? on my extra moon base activities, the rare occasion I am to be found on an aircraft is about the only time I ever drink tomato juice for some reason. I don't wonder, mm. if, I wonder if I'm naturally drawn to umami. Umami. Tomato juice on its own is I'm, gross. Well, you need. With Worcestershire sauce. At the yes. very least, Worcestershire oh, yes. or Tabasco. Yes. Because otherwise it's, it's it kind of yeah. sweet and gross. Mm. The Bloody Mary should be terrible. I have introduced this, <laughs> amazingly introduced this drink when I was on Earth to many people who were like, that's going to be awful. I mean, like, tomato juice on its own is awful and disgusting and cloying, but add Tabasco and oh, yes. then vodka and then celery salt and... <laughs> and it's amazing. Superb. And you can drink it anytime. If it's seven o'clock in the morning mm. and you're reaching for a double whiskey, mm. Mm, really problematic. Yep. If you're reaching for uh, the breakfast drink... <laughs> the breakfast drink. Yeah. And that's fine. That's just a, that's just a healthy breakfast pick-me-up. It is. Thankfully, science has finally caught up. <laughs> Residents panic after chicken begins to talk. <laughs> Residents of a small town in Nigeria have fled in panic after a chicken began talking in Arabic before being slaughtered, <laughs> police said. Now, they don't generally speak Arabic no, generally in Nigeria. Not. No. So I'm not sure how they know. Anyway, state police said that the incident of the talking chicken occurred at a local market. Residents living near Wadata Market fled as news of the talking chicken spread like fire. <laughs> I heard that the police had taken the chicken into their possession, and this is why the police station is so crowded. Everyone wants to see the chicken and hear it talk. A woman who identified herself as Asatu said, 
As the residents crowded the local roads, police shot tear gas to disperse the crowd. <laughs> hmm, chicken, talking chicken-related riot. That seems a little excessive. Apparently this was not the first time an animal began to talk before being killed. <laughs> Salman Rosen and his worker, Luis Nivello of New York, said they were about to kill a fish <laughs> when it began shouting at them. It said, watch out, <laughs> and the end is coming. Oh. That's portentous, isn't it? It is. Yeah. We all know that's true. That, that fish knows what it's talking about. Rosen admitted that in a state of panic, he tried to kill the fish, injuring himself in the process and ending up in hospital. The fish was finally killed by Nivello and sold. It does beg the question, why don't more fish and fowl speak up mm. if they can see their end coming? This didn't take place in the same police station where there was a goblin recently, was it? The go- I don't know. I don't think so. I'm no. not sure. But I know what you mean. There, there is a similarity. There is. You have been used. For Lander. I thank you, Mr. Conium. Thank you, sir. For that anthropomorphic selection of new stories, there'll be more on next week's show. You make it in your mess tin by the brazier's rosy gleam. You watch it cloud, then settle amber clear. You lift it with your bayonet and you sniff the fragrant steam. The very breath of it is ripe with cheer. You're awful cold and dirty and a cursing of your lot. You scoff the blushing half of it, so rich and ripping art. It bucks you up like anything, just seems to touch the spot. Gold bless the man that first discovered tea. Tea, 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 tea. God bless the man that first discovered tea. Since I come out to fight in France, which ain't the other day, I think I've drunk enough to float a barge. All kinds of fancy foreign dope, from cafe and doulet, to rum they serves you out before a charge. In back rooms of estaminets, I've gurgled pints of sham, I've swilled down mugs of cider till I've felt a blooming dam. But struth they all ain't in it, with a vintage of a Sam Gold bless the man that first invented tea Tea, 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 tea Gold bless the man that first invented tea I think them lazy lumps are gods What kips on asphodel Swig's nectar, that's a flavour of oolong I only wish them sons of guns are grilling down in hell Could have their daily ration of Sushong Hurrah, I'm off to battle, which is hell and heaven too And if I don't give some poor bloke a sexton's job to do Tonight be Fritz's campfire, won't I have a gorgeous brew For fighting mustn't interfere with tea Tea, 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 tea for fighting mustn't interfere with tea And we'll drink the guinea victory in tea That was the stirring, pardon the pun, uh, David Parry from an album called The Man from El Dorado which apparently is a collection of adaptations or versions of uh, poems by Robert Service uh, set to music in one form or another 
And uh, yes, as you, as you could probably tell, a, a particularly uh, motivational song there about how the joys of tea drinking. During war. <laughs> During war. <laughs> During war, yes. It's not necessary to start a war to enjoy no. a cup of tea. You can enjoy no. it while gardening or just sitting around. That's right. But in this case, mm-hmm. he's in the middle of some kind of World War One trench situation by some, the sound of it. Yeah, indeed. If only everything stopped for tea, as we heard earlier. Yes. We maybe stopped two world wars. Yes, that would have been better. <laughs> Look, this is all going on a bit long. Can't we just have tea and cakes instead? <laughs> Let's wrap up World War One before anybody gets hurt. <laughs> just enjoy biscuits. <laughs> and we're going to have another poetical ode uh, to tea of an altogether uh, more humorous nature. <laughs> No warfare involved, I think, this time. Uh, and an artist we haven't heard from for a few weeks on the show, the great uh, Sheffield bard, John Shuttleworth. <laughs> An EP of, uh, of tea-related uh, tunes, one kind or another. This is Tea Time is Me Time. It's my great pleasure to announce that on this one, on backing vocals, we have Ken Worthington, <laughs> next-door neighbour and soul agent. Hello! Uh, yeah. Oh, no, hang on, Ken. Hang on. Oh, sorry, sir. Tea time is me time. Me time. Me That's time. Right. And it would be a wee crime. Wee crime. If you didn't come to. Yes, it would. Would you care for a biscuit? Gives it. Gives it. If I were you, Ken, I'd wait for a side plate. Oh. Thanks, John. Or perhaps you prefer a tea cake. Me bake, me bake. No, Ken. This tea loaf has been specially prepared by Yorkshire Tea. Sorry, John. Just trying to make it rhyme, you know. Oh, I see. Mm. My pupils will both dilate. Dilate. When I see this spread. Mm. When my tummy is filled. And what could be better, better than a nice whistle wetter, wetter to pick you up and get you in the mood? Oh, tea time is me time, me time. Custard. And it would be a wee crime, wee crime, if you didn't come to. Oh. What are you doing, Kurt? The biscuit I tried to, don't care. Dunk it, dunk it But it snapped off and you've sunk it I've sunk it Oh, come here oh, Leave it, Ken No Doesn't matter I want it, John Oh, what could be finer Finer Than a nice cup of China Oh, I thought it was from Yorkshire This day it is, Ken Grown on the hillsides of Harrogate Is it now? Oh, stupid man Time is me time. Tea time is me time. Oh, sorry. Tea time is me time. Me time. Me time. But it would be a wee crime. Wee crime. If you didn't go to. Yep. Come along. Yes. If you can spare the time. Well, that's right. If you can't, then please don't. No. Because no, you'll be anxious. Mm. That was, of course, John Shuttleworth with Tea Time is Me Time. Instructive, informative, <laughs> inventive, as yes, usual, Mr Shuttleworth. 
Very wise there. I've, I've, felt, I've felt slightly embarrassed actually when you mentioned the side plate because I do often I do often reach for a biscuit without placing it on a side plate, which is terrible. Really, I need to. Well, it's, need a, to it's the sort of thing that really you shouldn't wash that kind of dirty laundry in public. <laughs> That's true. I shouldn't be mentioning that. <laughs> it's just it's just not done. <laughs> no. I have been DJ Darjeeling. I hope you've enjoyed an infusion this week, dear listener, rather than confusion on this week's show, dear listener. I have been MC Assam, and I hope you found this whole episode suitably stirring. We're going to leave you with a bit of um, lively music, but um, 21st century lively music. <gasps> I don't know much about this gentleman. He's called Wesley Jonathan Taberner, and he runs this uh, lively music label called Absolute. And um, he's produ- he seems to be capable of tackling all sorts of <laughs> musical genres. He has an album, for example, called Killer Synth. I see that. And Extraterrestrial uh, life, aliens, UFOs, right. space, planet, science. Indeed. Uh, one simply called War. Oh. <laughs> fashion icons. Righto. Well, I'd have to hear, isn't it, of fashion oh, icons? Interesting. Hybridize. Oh, don't even know but, what that means. No, neither do I. <laughs> but so we're going to leave you by playing, uh, actually for the second time on this week's show, a bit of sitar-infused music. Good. Uh, this comes from his 2010 library music album simply called India, where if it's him playing, he's a pretty good tabla player and uh, sitar player. So this is uh, from the Absolute Music Library, the sound of Wesley Jonathan Taberner with a tune simply called Assam. Until next week, dear listener.
Are you a monomaniac? Do you have a current passport? Join us next time on Project Moonbase for our new show, Hong Kong Hobby Horse. <laughs>